You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. For football people who like football, here come two words for you. Purple Live. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, welcome into the Purple Live show, a continuation of the football hour. Matthew Collar, along with ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin. We will be joined at 6.30 by Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, who is going to tell us whether the Vikings can get their offense back together here and make a run to the playoffs, what those odds look like, and what they're going to have to do to get there if they can overcome Uh, some of the issues they've had, the offensive line, and so forth. We'll talk about that at 6.30. Something I want to put out there right now relates to the poll on with uh, Judd earlier about who is to blame for where the Vikings are at right now, which is in the playoff hunt, and that is not where you would have expected them at the very beginning of the season or even going back to March when they signed Kirk Cousins. So who do you pin that most on? Would it be the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the general manager, or the quarterback? And for me, it's the quarterback because he was signed to make up for any other shortcomings that came along this year. But I want to know how much blame people are putting on Kirk Cousins for where the Minnesota Vikings stand right now. 651-646-8255. How much are you putting on Kirk Cousins? Answer that question for me, Courtney Cronin. A bunch. I don't have a percentage, but a bunch. Because I to to on the last segment with Judd, we talked about the Twitter poll, and most people had, I think it was 43% had Spielman. Um, who brought Kirk Cousins here? He didn't come himself. Like, I mean, I think that that's where you have to start because you knowingly brought him here. Maybe at the time they, they thought they were still going to take an offensive lineman. I mean, the plan all along from everything that we had heard going into April was, yes, they're going to address the need for Joe Berger's replacement, get the right guard in the draft. And then they just didn't do it. So, I mean, at that point, you kind of failed Kirk Cousins because you knew you couldn't have not known that this is not an elite quarterback. This is a maybe a top ten quarterback. I think that's fair to say. I mean, he's definitely a top ten quarterback. I don't. I would not put him in the top five whatsoever. But you brought him in here knowing that he's kind of playing with one hand behind his back. I mean, he's got great pieces elsewhere. But I'm sorry, your offensive line, your team go, your offense goes as far as your offensive line is going to let it, especially in today's day, in today's NFL. Watch what happened to them in 2016. The deficiency and the injuries along the offensive line caused them a major part of it for why they slid to 8-8 eight and eight to finish that season after starting out 5-0. and oh. With Kirk Cousins, I think that you have to pin a lot of this on him because he has not been able to overcome a lot of the mental errors and mistakes that he's made in games so far. He's not throwing the ball very deep. Um, you know, especially in recent weeks. I mean, you're watching some of his short throws and, you know, underthrowing guys too. I mean, it's, this is kind of concerning. He's leaving guys wide open in the end zone on the plate. It's Stefan, Di- that, you know, Stefan Diggs is wide open. That's a bad throw. Mm-hmm. 
And there's been multiple circumstances. I know we're kind of focusing here on the Bears game, but in other games, so you you pull up with with the Saints game, and even before that, you know the loss against Los Angeles, him fumbling the ball away right there on the on a drive where you have a chance to go down and tie the game. I think you have to. I think in in today's NFL, where the quarterback is everything, it's the most important position in sports. That should shield. That should that should yield a lot of blame for what's going on. But I cannot, as as an objective looker of this situation, I cannot look past how the Vikings got here in the first place with the pe- people who are com- controlling the chess pieces. I think that your 2016 comparison at this moment is apps because when you apps. look apt. Oh, apt. Not apps as in your like, phone, as in but like, as an apt comparison. I'm thinking like Applebee's, like Fire 99 menu on so the appetizers. Okay. Just, just crazy, <laughs> sort of just running through a lot of stats here after yeah. this game to try and get some perspective on this. And I, and I gave the stat last hour about how the Vikings actually are scoring on a, a lower percentage of their drives than Case Keenum and the Denver Broncos right now. Another stat that I ran into that is very telling is adjusted net yards per attempt, which sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook, but all it is is just yards per attempt adjusted for turnovers and adjusted for sacks. So interceptions and sacks. I don't even think it adjusts for fumbles. And Kirk Cousins is about the same as Sam Bradford was in 2016. The difference is Sam Bradford couldn't value out of anything either. He had a great arm, made a lot of throws, but he was checked down Sam, and if you got down in the game, you weren't going to win because he wasn't going to make the throws to bring you back. Right. If you were winning, he could pretty much not turn the ball over and get you the win. They didn't have a good running game, but he could throw short passes and things like that and hit on the occasional deep ball. That was Sam Bradford 2016. But that's a guy that they traded for in desperation after their franchise quarterback's knee imploded. Not someone who they went out to the free agent market and spent more money than anyone had ever spent on the free agent market ever before in history to get. Not like, this is our guy, this is our franchise. It was more of, uh, okay, we don't want to waste a great defense. Who's available? Sam Bradford, save us. That uh, Right? Yeah. And yet, and yet, you're getting the same exact type of production where Bradford couldn't make up for a bad offensive line. He couldn't bring you back in games. He made... He didn't make as many like mind-numbing throws, but it was more of like the mind-numbing throws were checkdowns on third and ten, where it was a one-yard pass. He didn't turn the ball over as much right. as this guy is, right? But you had to punt a lot because right. he w- refused to throw past the sticks on third down. So you're getting basically the same level of quarterback play as you got from Sam Bradford 2016. I don't know how you can expect to win anything. And the question that you're posing is, I mean, Spielman's the guy who brought him in, and Spielman's the guy who didn't support him enough with an offensive line, so how do we sort of separate these things and look at the cause and effect of Kirk Cousins so far, I think, being only mildly effective and only winning the games he was supposed to win against bad teams, but none of the games that they needed him to win. We talked about this the day that the franchise tag window closed and they decided not to exercise it on Case Keenum or any of their other quarterbacks when they let all their three quarterbacks go in free agency at the beginning of March and how they two days later brought in Kirk Cousins, signed him to the $84 million deal of how we would eventually judge this season. Not just wins and losses, not just whether they make it to a Super Bowl or they win it, not the big things, big picture Vikings alone. That we would be judging this season off of the relative success of the other three quarterbacks that would be playing in the NFL. Well, currently Sam Bradford doesn't have a job. 
Teddy Bridgewater is not playing in New Orleans, and Case Keenum's the only guy that you look at there. If from what you're saying with a statistic you brought up of just how, you know, the efficiency in terms of scoring is not that much different. And the fact that Case Keenum may or may not end up with the same win loss record as Kirk Cousins. And, and even if he goes one more game above that, I think is a major concern. Yeah. I mean, to look at uh, Keenum in a situation where it's not as good. I mean, he doesn't have the receivers. He doesn't have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs in Denver. Guy is one of his best ones traded away, too. He was supposed to have, I, I mean, Cousins, this is a great offensive mind as a offensive coordinator. But so far, I don't know if, if we have that here in John Filippo. And a lot of the things that we saw on tape with the Bears were disturbing. One-on-one matchups between Riley Reef and Khalil Mack on third and nine is unacceptable. Like, in no world is that okay for the offensive coordinator to dial up anything that leaves the second-best defensive player on earth alone with a left tackle who's been hurt for most of the season. It's not fair to Riley Reef. When I watched that game back, I thought, I respect Riley Reef for trying his darndest, but there was just no chance. All-star left tackles don't still don't take this guy one-on-one, and yet you think it's okay to have Riley Reef there. So I think what we have is kind of a culmination of not supporting him enough, maybe not scheming quite to his strengths because they're not effectively using screen passes and things like that where they could get some free and play yards action. And, and play action. I mean, this, 20, is the best, this is the best play action quarterback in today's NFL, or at least top five. One, one of the one best. Of the best. I, and Goff has kind of taken that over, but that was kind of Kirk, right? Like running the, good, those same sort of things with well, McVay. What was the first thing that Mike Zimmer said about him that in the introductory press conference? Terrific good, in the boots. Terrific in the boots. And I, we're not seeing them run a whole ton of it. And to your point that we talked about earlier, he's not really moving off of his spot. They're not changing his launch point in the pocket. They're not shifting the pocket. And that makes everybody's job harder, which is why I think it's fair in a lot of respects to pin some of that blame on Cousins that he's not doing anything to help the situation. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That he is not bailing out a lineman when something goes wrong. He's not bailing out his offensive coordinator if the scheme isn't correct. He isn't bailing out his general manager with the offensive line struggles. He isn't bailing out his defense when they had some issues earlier this year. When they weren't perfect against Buffalo, they, I mean, Cousins melts down the whole rest of that game. And a lot of people just wanted to put that away like, oh, let's just never talk about Buffalo again. Well, let's. I mean, because anytime they've played a good defense, which has been rare, but Buffalo actually does have a decent defense and a pass rush, it's been made worse by fumbles and then by the fact that they couldn't come back in that game. They were down like 17, and Buffalo's giving up their quarterbacks throw picks and they're giving up 40 points sometimes, but they had just enough pass rush to completely ruin everything. And that's where not all sacks are the same. Like, if you think about it this way, Russell Wilson gets sacked a lot. Because he's trying to extend plays, and he makes magnificent plays out of that. Aaron Rodgers, too. That's right. He gets sacked a lot, right? Because he's often trying to move and move and move and find someone. Kirk Cousins gets sacked a lot and pressured a lot, in part, because he does not move an inch. A three-man pressure, three rushers against six blockers, still gets Kirk Cousins to throw the ball too early because he will not move off that one spot. So when I look at all of these things, I say that you brought him in and paid him this much money to be the guy who could fix some of the issues or paint over them enough to give you a chance to have a great defense and win that way. 
And that is not what has happened. They've only won the obvious games that they should win and none of the games against the better teams in the league. The biggest thing is the mental lapses, in my opinion, that continue to happen. And this is the one that I wanted to bring up with the interceptions. So we talked about, didn't understand the man zone indicator on the digs, you know, the play digs wide open. Luquan Treadwell, to his credit, ran the right route. That was just, you know, that was just a bad, that was a bad read. And Kirk explained this after the game. He did. And he said he was trying, seeing about the DB, if he's, you know, if he's squatting, he thought maybe he he was, it was a phantom kind of thing for him. He said he thought it was going to happen and it didn't, Mm -hmm. um, which is one thing. The play, the interception before that, the one right to half at halftime, Mike Zimmer chalked that up as a miscommunication yesterday. Um, Kirk said that was totally my fault. I no holds bars had, you know, he didn't explain what happened, but said it was totally his fault. Watching that back, I don't think that was a miscommunication in terms of what Rudolph was doing. He ran a 12-yard pivot. I think that that Kirk might have been looking at the wrong read or might not have known that that was the the play to, to run. And there are a lot of times where, and this goes for the interception that everyone blamed Diggs for, but there are a lot of times where he throws the ball where it doesn't seem like he's looking where he's throwing. He's supposed to be throwing to spots. We get that. That's kind of been, he he's talked about that before and. That's a, a way to compensate for your offensive line, and if you build a chemistry that works with Stephon Diggs and, and Adam Thielen, and you know you're you're confident with those types of guys that they're going to get there, like the play that he made uh, from the fi- inside the five yard line in Philadelphia, and that incredible catch that Thielen made when he's you know gotten barreling in the face of pressure. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to do that. It can't be every single play is like that because your guys just you know sometimes they're going to get beat, or sometimes it's going to be the wrong read. And that has been, I think, the case too many times for him. And there was the interception against Arizona where he yeah. just has someone in his face and just sort of heaves it up maybe to a spot or where where is he looking. And the mistakes have piled up with him. His inability to, how would you say it, like de-escalate mistakes? Like if someone runs the wrong route, you can almost expect that he's going to make it worse. And so now I think what's really coming into our vision because I will not be surprised at all if down this stretch, Cousins has two or three brilliant games. Mm-hmm. They do not play great defenses outside of Chicago. No one who's really, really good. They've got lots of opportunities. There's bad run defenses. They play three of the bottom seven run defenses over this last stretch. So I think their offense will improve. But your big question now is no longer about, like, well, can he perform against Miami's defense? It's he was brought here to beat Chicago's defense. And what we've been shown is that those shortcomings, which are not being helped by anybody else, I don't think, the offensive coordinator or the offensive line, only Thielen and Diggs are helping this. But since he doesn't have the shortcomings being helped, you just can't believe this team's going to beat anyone good at the end of the year. And we've sort of slumped into this like expectations of being, well, we'll see if they make the playoffs, and they're probably a playoff team. And that's where the expectations have gone down to. But where they were at the beginning, and I'm sure you had this too, every person who called us to interview us on another radio station, it would always be, hey, is this Super Bowl or bust now that they're going all in? My answer was always yes. wasn't yours. It was, but it wasn't for year one. I knew the shortcomings, at least in my opinion, of what Kirk Cousins and this offense, and and just given some of the things that happened in the offseason, I always said that they signed him to a three-year contract, not a one-year contract, and that I don't buy that the Super Bowl window for this team was one year and one year only, given the way they structured the cap, how many guys they've got around for the next two to three years. But 
that if it didn't happen within the next three years, then it's a bust, in my opinion. That's that's the way I've explained it because I just don't think is this a Super Bowl roster? Sure. Absolutely. Except for the offensive line. But I don't think that, you know, it was going to take too much time. In my opinion, this is a project, and it was not an immediate quick fix at the quarterback position. I think that we are in danger here of becoming the Washington team from 2015 to 2017, that they are teetering on that edge right now. They have a better defense than Washington ever had then, more talent on the defensive side. But they're going through a lot of the same things on the offensive side that Washington did with better offensive minds. I mean, Sean McVay has shown you what kind of genius he is. And then Kyle Shanahan, too. These are the offensive minds that Kirk Cousins was working with. And Jay Gruden, I think, is yet to quite move up to that level and didn't really have the opportunity since Alex Smith's leg imploded. Um and Joe Theismann did. So I don't know if he's ever going to have that opportunity if Alex Smith can't come back and play. Uh, but the point just being that with a defense that is getting older every day and you've seen it regress even through this year, so you have to rely on that quarterback to make up for some of the deficiencies in, in a bunch of different areas, it just hasn't happened. And sort of then we get to the now what? Like you're going to have to pay Adam Thielen, you're going to have to pay Trey Wayans, and, and it gets really tricky for how much better you can really make this roster. So we're going to take a quick break, and I want to look forward and look at where the Vikings stand right now and where they will finish this season with their record. Will they be in the playoffs? Will they not be in the playoffs? And the question for anyone who wants to give us a call or ask a question is fine. Uh, 651-646-8255. Feel free to jump in the conversation. How much are you putting on Kirk Cousins? How much are you putting on everything around him for why this team is essentially 500? What are we calling this? What's their win percentage really? Was it like five if, and a half? Hundred? Five and a half. Six. Was, 60%? No. No, it's not even. I can't they do math like that. that. No. The, the tie screws Stick everything up. We're, we're, we're not sure on that. Okay, we'll be back on Purple Live. In a sea of purple, this is one deep dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, back here on Purple Live, Matthew Collar, along with ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin. You can feel free to drop in on the show, 651-646-8255. And there is a uh, podcast version of the uh, Purple Live slash Purple Podcast. So wherever you get those, whether it's the app on your phone or on uh, the interwebs, uh, feel free to check those out. We have uh, Sage Rosenfels on weekly and uh, numerous other guests on the Purple Podcast. So let's go to uh, Jimmy in Phoenix here on the show. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, great conversation, by the way. Thanks, Appreciate man. The, in- the insight. Um, I think you, I really do think you got to blame Spielman. I mean, after the season, even before we signed Cousins, we talked about the offensive line needed to work. We didn't know who our who our quarterback was even going to be so i i think it's on spielman i mean cousins is what he is he's a top 15 quarterback and i think that's good enough to win but without the offensive line i think uh courtney i think you're right i think we're probably a year or two away and let, let's be realistic i mean this team even if we make the playoffs are we going to go on the road and beat the saints i don't think so or the rams but I want to throw out another question for you guys. Something a little bit, little bit different. Okay. Is last night's game what the NFL wants to be 
54, 51 games. Is it like arena football? Is that what we want? Is there too much? Is it out of balance between the offense and defense? Just curious on you guys' opinion on that. Yeah. Thanks, call, for, thanks for the thanks. call, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna address the offensive line thing first because I think he brings up a really good point that, you know, they knew Joe Berger was likely going to retire. Did he retire after Kirk Cousins? Um, you know, and they kind of knew they were going to get him. Yes. But they still didn't address this in the draft, and they didn't address it in free agency when three weeks before that, it was before it became an official, they didn't tender Jeremiah Searles, who was a restricted free agent. So I just think that... We need he, to get Jeremiah on the show. He's great. He's, he, God, when he was on your podcast, he was fantastic. He was. He's really, really good. I think he has a career in broadcasting after he's done playing. But even, even if Berger comes back, let's say, like he's 35, right? Yeah. So shouldn't, yeah. you, shouldn't you be thinking like, hey, you know, we might want to get a younger guy in here because even though we got Joe Berger back, he might not be holding up for as long or he might not be as good because he's older and he might not stick around longer. True. And I think that the thing, you know, just to kind of circle back on Jimmy's point, because I know we have another caller um, that about them being a year away. For me, it was not solely the offensive line. That's a huge part of it. But bringing a new quarterback in. And having him in a brand new system and finally the chance where he's got, you know, this weight off his back. I mean, they want him to be their franchise quarterback. There's no doubt here. I still thought it was going to take quite some time because it's not just a new quarterback. It's a new offensive coordinator. And I don't think you can be expected with that and some of the moving parts and pieces on the offensive line and all of the injuries that they had. Losing Nick Easton, Pat Elfline's not able to come back until, um, what was it, week three? Like, there was so many hindrances with that unit that I just felt like all of that combined together was way too much for them to overcome this year. They'd be very good, and they are good. This is a very good team. They're not performing like it in a lot of circumstances, but that that would be too much to get to a Super Bowl this year. So Next year's a different story. I look at it as that's what you paid for. You paid for, uh-oh, a bunch of stuff went wrong, but thank goodness we have a top 10 quarterback or top whatever you want to put it. That's what stuck out to me there with what Jimmy was saying is with Kirk Cousins. He said, well, he's you know a top 15 quarterback and you can win with that. And I agree you can win with that. But when it comes to like ranking where the quarterbacks are, that's where it gets really interesting to me. Because there are top 15 quarterbacks who do a lot of the things that get their team closer to winning. Like they don't turn the ball over or they're good on third downs. Like there are certain situations where they thrive, but maybe don't have the best numbers. And then there are other quarterbacks who have good numbers. Let's just say mm, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's been benched, what, three times now? He's got great numbers. He's averaging like eight and a half yards a throw, benched three times now. Why? Because he makes a lot of mistakes, throws a lot of turnovers, Screws their defense over, and their defense isn't good to begin with. And Jameis Winston has that same problem. Lots of turnovers, but hey, got lots of stats, too. And with Kirk at his best, when he's not doing as much of that, then he can go toe-to-toe with almost anyone throwing the ball and, like, the Los Angeles game, making big plays. At his worst, which is what we saw the other night, you can't win. You just cannot win because he will give the game away. It, it's it's the opposite. He is everything the opposite of what Teddy Bridgewater was. Where Teddy Bridgewater would throw for 170 yards, win the game, get three key third down and, and longs, great pocket presence, things like that, great leadership, 
made made up for the weaknesses of the team with the offensive line, the lack of weapons. And now you have a quarterback who can be top 15, but only if every other thing is clicking into place. And that isn't even close to what's happening right now. With Teddy Bridgewater, I think the reason Mike Zimmer loved him so much and why there was, you know, among the discourse where it was, Case can't seem to do anything right in the eyes of Mike Zimmer. Just from, you know, the horseshoe comment in the, um, how do I say this? The conus? Can I say that on yeah, here? Yeah, you can say I that. I can't say what it really was. But That's those right. types of comments, because he made throws that scared Mike Zimmer. Yep. The throw again, when, when Michael Brockers is basically going to eat his face off against Los Angeles, and he still throws it, yeah. and he's lucky... Thinking, Keenum, you're talking yes, about. Yes, Keenum. He's lucky that uh, Adam Thielen's there to catch it, and he has a receiver who makes him and mediocre quarterback play, to be honest, that a lot of times look better. Um, that was not what Mike Zimmer wanted. Mike Zimmer wanted a guy like Teddy Bridgewater who would take the sack and would be conservative and, yes, like you said, get you key third downs. Cousins kind of has admitted this at certain points, and I know that we got this from Mike Zimmer, too, that he sometimes is trying to make too much happen. He doesn't want to take the negative play, so he tries not to, and then it ends up becoming an interception or he fumbles the ball away. What what Mike Zimmer said yesterday that I thought was really interesting is that he didn't think the pressure seemed to bother Kirk Cousins or lead to any of the interceptions. The guy was pressured on 17 dropbacks, which was a hot, it was a, a league high uh, in week 11. And all 17 pressures allowed by different linemen. I mean, I mean, there was, you know, the the deal with the uh, both of their guards were hurt. I mean, this is the circumstances he was dealt, and he didn't think that that affected him. That, to me, was a little baffling. So let's get in a, a quick call, and then I w- we'll run these things by Eric Eager from sure. Pro Football Focus to get the statistical perspective on that. Uh, Angelo, what's up? Yeah, I was just uh, listening in, and immediately I think of Coach DiFilippo, uh came over from the Eagles. He was pretty mediocre with Johnny Manziel over there in Cleveland, a co-offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. And I think fingers can be pointed any direction with this season, but right now it's pointed right at uh, Coach Filippo, and I don't think it's the finger that you wanted me to be pointed at anybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- thanks, Angelo. And, well, the guy pointing that finger is Mike Zimmer, and that's yeah. what makes it, to me, really, really interesting is the fact that Zimmer was willing to call him basically on the carpet after that game and say your offense is either too complicated or there's too much going on and we have too many miscommunications and that's a hundred percent pointed right at him so now as we go down the stretch that puts him in the crosshairs for people blaming him for for what's gone wrong with this offense so we're going to ask eric eager these things what has gone wrong what can happen to get the Vikings back on track? What their odds to make the playoffs are now? We will talk to him next here on Purple Live. Purple, purple, and more purple. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, welcome back to Purple Live. Matthew Collar and ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin here. And we welcome in from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We are doing okay. There's a lot of uh, conversations. Don't speak for me. There's a kind of. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, Courtney, tell Eric how you are, please. We're fine. Uh, what? 
Okay. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of different conversations happening at once. So it's like we go sort of around in a circle where someone starts with, hey, Kirk Cousins hasn't been that good. And then the next person says, yeah, but John Filippo hasn't been that good. And then the next person says, yeah, but the offensive line hasn't been that good. And then the next person says, yeah, but they don't really have that many weapons outside of two receivers or a run game. Um, is there a, like a pie chart of blame here, Eric? What can we do here? Yeah, I... I don't know. After after growing up watching Chris Carter and Jake Reed and Moss, and then having this like you know purgatory of wide receivers until now, I would not blame the receiving core. Um, but aside from that, I everything that people are saying with respect to D. Filippo, Cousins, the offensive line, all true. Um, you know, ultimately it rests on the quarterback. But if you watched the game the other night, it did not look like they had a great plan. Uh, you know, with Mac and, you know, Hicks on the inside and a pretty good secondary for Chicago. So I don't know. I, I would say, you know, it's probably, uh, you know, 25% offensive line, uh, 50% the quarterback, 25% the coordinator. Okay. That's fair. Does that math add up, though? Because we, we're not very good at the pie charts over here. He's, uh, so he's we'll a have to, data, he's a data we'll have to check on that. Like, um, I, I had to make sure, so not, so not to embarrass myself. Good, I do that a lot. Um, so the one thing that we were talking about in the first hour of the show was about the run-pass balance and basically the Chiefs and the Rams saying, screw that, we're not going to, you know, we don't care about that. And the Saints have it to a degree, too. Does Mike Zimmer have a point given the restrictions that he's clearly aware of with the offensive line and, and guys getting hit behind the line of scrimmage and just what they haven't been able to generate in the run. To Does he have a point that they need to stick with it more, or are they sticking with it enough to a point where you realize, hey, this is not going to generate any points like it did it, like it did not in the first half of the Bears game? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because you, you ought you, – of course, don't want to have negative plays on first down, and and the historical thing is a you know an incompletion on first down you get zero yards, and so you know teams would traditionally run the ball on first down. The problem is is from like an expected points perspective, no team in the NFL is worse at running the football on early downs than the Vikings. So like they're dumping a quarter of a point every time they turn around to hand the ball off uh, on first or second down. So. Ultimately, at this point, they probably have to just consider that a, a lost cause and make the run game more of a, you know, a, something to keep the defense off, off track more than something that they have to establish. They've been okay, uh, kind of middle of the pack. You know, 54% of their early down passes are successful, and I think that that has everything to do with the two receivers and how brilliant they can be. Um, but, you know, I would say take a cue from the, the Rams and the Chiefs last night and know that if you're going to try to outscore teams, you're going to have to do so in the passing game. And then as we saw a little bit later in the game with the Rams, uh, if, you, if you set up the pass, sometimes you'll get these gaping holes in the run game and Dalvin Cook can take advantage of those. But I think establishing the run is a bit overrated. Okay. Well, the pseudo run then. The screens and what we saw in week five of forcing things to the perimeter to, you know, move the defensive line and, and try to force things outside. We haven't seen a lot of that since. I mean, they've run some good screens with receivers, but the running back screens have been atrocious. I mean, I, I pulled up a stat earlier that of the 141 yards they had in, on screen plays before the bye, not, so not including Chicago, only 22 of those were accounted for when they're throwing, when Kirk Cousins is throwing to a running back. And honestly, all but like one yard was to Dalvin Cook. What what's the issue here with the screen game and why they can't get it generated? 
Yeah, it's it's unreal. I think you know you look you look at last season with the Vikings of Pat Shermer, and it always looked like Case Keenum was given an outlet so that he didn't look foolish on a play, right? And we know that Keenum's probably not as talented as Cousins, but they were consistently in short yarded situations on third down because Jarek McKinnon was catching you know over fifty passes out of the backfield, Latavius Murray as well, and not all of them were screens, but a lot of them were just simply plays where the running back was in a position to make a play with the ball if things broke down on, you know, Keenum's first read. We're simply not seeing that with Cousins, and it might just be simply that Cousins is a one-read quarterback, um, or it might be that the offensive line is a little bit worse, or they're scheming that up. But it would be nice for them to get the ball to Dalvin Cook more in space. We know that that was one of the real uh, nice things about him when he was coming out of uh, Florida State, and we simply haven't seen that yet. And, And that'd be, I think, a nice wrinkle for them to put in. So uh, a caller of ours asked a really good question about Rams and Chiefs last night, Eric. And his question was just, did the Vikings now in hindsight build the wrong way over the last five years in focusing on defense instead of on the offensive side because the league has now gone so epically that way to the point where New Orleans is scoring on over 60% of their drives. Unheard of. I've never seen that before. Their punter, just they don't even need one. Basically, they could have uh, you could do like the Randall Cunningham where they bring in Tyson Hill and have him punt when they need to. Um, but it, would you say that, that that is the case or is having a great defense still very valuable in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you know, so obviously you want to have a good defense, but if you look, for example, at the you know, sort of top five teams last season, top six, let's say, in points allowed, one is Minnesota. Two is Jacksonville. Three, the Chargers are still good. Four, the Eagles. Five, New England Patriots. And six, the Baltimore Ravens. You know, four of those teams are probably not going to be relevant in the playoffs this year. And it's a byproduct of the fact that defense requires – offense requires one player to play pretty well for a, a, a prolonged amount of time, and that's the quarterback. Defense requires, you know, all three levels to play well – uh, in, in to avoid injuries, et cetera, et cetera, and for an offense to put the defense in in pretty good spots. And what we've seen with Minnesota, Jacksonville, you know, Philadelphia. Philadelphia has been stricken by injuries. The Jaguars have had poor quarterback play, putting them in precarious positions. And Minnesota's had a combination of those two things. And so, like from from my perspective, I think it's just simply it's difficult to build a defense that is sustainably good. And, and, you know, even if you look at the Rams, their defense has not been good this year, but it's not because they don't have talent. They have Marcus Peters and the keep to leave and the guys up front with Donald and, and Sue and so forth. So I just think it's a, it's a monster. What can you, what can you put to the bank, uh, most frequently? And it's co- great quarterback play. And that's what you saw with the Rams, uh, and the uh, Chiefs last night. So the Vikings now have the Green Bay Packers or second conference, second, uh, Sunday night football game. This is now their third straight conference game or division game. So what happens this weekend? I mean, the Packers are clearly in a very similar situation. I mean, I know Aaron Rodgers and his his numbers don't add up to this four or five and one record that they have. They're banged up, but the Vikings now this to me feels like the season is on the line. If you don't win this game, the playoff your playoff hopes diminish and they're pretty much out the window at this point. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think that the interesting thing is, is if the Vikings were to have lost on Sunday night, the, the actual, the rest of the NFC actually went their way. Uh, Carolina lost in Detroit on a, a missed two point conversion. Um, you know, Seattle won, but again, they get Seattle 
uh, straight up pretty soon here so they can sort of, you know, put them down if they need to. Minnesota is actually a better than 50-50 proposition to make the playoffs. We also saw that, you know, Chicago's quarterback is in, injured, so they actually do have a, a non-trivial chance of winning that division. But I do think it starts with winning this game. If you can't win your home games against uh, division opponents that are down, and let, let's be honest, Green Bay – Aaron Rodgers is playing really, really well, but they're having similar play-calling issues. Their defense is injured. They're a down team. This has to be a year where, where you, you, know, you take down the Packers. If they can't win this game, uh, I don't think they have you know, much, much of a chance here. With Carolina playing Seattle, one of those teams should win and, and you know, will be firmly ahead of Minnesota. And then uh, you know, I, they'd be probably too wounded at 5-5-1 five, five, and one to really be considered uh, you know, a contender at all in the NFC. So this game is on prime time. And Kirk Cousins in primetime games in his career is four and twelve. Is that a stat that we should be quoting and care about and wonder about him? Because maybe that means he was playing good teams, or or what? What do we make of that? Is that just nothing because it's random, or or is there something there to say about him not performing in primetime games? Well, so the the statistician to me would say it's you know sixteen game sample. Let's not overreact to it. You know he didn't play on great teams in Washington. So if Washington were to be playing on you know a primetime game, they're probably playing somebody else who's also good. So you know Cousins against a good team is not very good in general. Um, but I do think you know that that speech he gave before the game about you know this is they're flexing it towards us, not towards them. I mean he just seems to be overcompensating for a lot of things. It seems like he knows you know, some of his weaknesses and he's trying his, his best to like overcome them. And I just don't know necessarily if that's, you know, a recipe for success when you're trying to quarterback a team, you know, with the expectations that the Vikings have. So I don't know. I obviously we're going to see some more games with them in prime time coming up and, and we'll see if it changes for now. I think it is something that's troublesome. The Vikings seemingly have always had issues in prime time uh, dating back even to the Childress and, and uh, Tice days. So it might just be that, you know, when they play in prime time, they play better teams. But uh, I do think it's somewhat of a thing here with Cousins. And they've got two more primetime games. We said the Sunday night football game against the Packers. And then America's Game of the Week is 425, kind of close to primetime. That's the one that he's going to play in New England, but then Monday night football. So we'll get to see if they can snap their 0-3 primetime streak going forward. I think to to wrap up here, Eric, we look at Kirk Cousins and the body of work that we've seen through the first 11 weeks of the season, and we see the deficiencies, and we see the things, the mental lapses, the turnovers, the not being able to overcompensate when called upon, and we see it come to a head in Chicago against a very good defense, but a, you know, with all the mistakes that the Bears were making and the way that the Vikings' defense was putting them in really prime position to go in and do something they just didn't. Is this the Kirk Cousins we can expect for the rest of the way? I mean, we brought this up earlier. The defenses they play from here on out are not nearly as good as the Bears, but even in games against lesser opponents, we've seen him make mistakes that they haven't been able to overcompensate for him personally to overcompensate for. Yeah, and, and that's the strange thing about them having a pretty good roster. If you look at the Detroit game, for example, and he did not play well in the Detroit game, and they dominated because of their defense. So we overlooked the fact, you know, that he didn't play particularly well. You, the Jets game, there was weather, so we overlooked the fact he didn't play particularly well. You know, some of his underlying numbers are okay. He's not actually making that many poorly poorly graded plays, but the ones that he does make are memorable. And we saw that on Sunday night with the you know the interception touchdown. 
Um, I think until further notice, if you're a Vikings fan, you basically have to assume that Cousins is not going to be able to um, elevate himself to the, the level of competition. Um, and that's unfortunate, of course, given the, the investment in him and the, you know, the, the pieces they have around him in, in Diggs and Thielen and Cooks. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. The, like you said, they have plenty of opportunity for him to, to prove us wrong moving forward. But as of now, it's, it's sort of been, I think, kind of the things that we suspected or, or feared going into the season and that Cousins is a, you know, very good at accumulating statistics. But ultimately, when, when these games count, uh, he's going to be pretty hit or miss. All right, Eric, thank you for uh, stopping by, and uh, you will join again very soon on either the Purple Live Show or Purple Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good night. You can follow Eric Eager on Twitter at PFF Eric, and uh, he is an analyst for Pro Football Focus. And also, I think he would actually get the pie chart right because he has a PhD in math. Yeah, I was making a so joke because I we, think I think Eric has also made a joke of my math habits, or at least he understands that I'm not the smartest when it comes to that. And also, PFF underscore. Eric. Oh, that's right. Matthew loves to comment about people's yeah, underscores showing, yeah. basically that's, dating their Twitter age. Exactly. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. Don't use an underscore if you're making a Twitter account now just to follow our Vikings analysis. Just use your regular name. I'm um, going to change my Twitter handle and put an underscore in between. Just to bother me? Just to bother you, Carly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, Mandy's got three questions for us about this week when we come back here on Purple Live. In a sea of purple... This is One Deep Dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, final segment here of Purple Live. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Manny Hill has three questions for us about this week. What's up, Manny? All right, what's going on, guys? Uh, Lots of football. All right, uh, for this Packers game coming up this week, aside from the obvious Aaron Rodgers, uh, who is the Packers' most dangerous offensive weapon? I think it's another uh, Aaron, Aaron Jones. All right. That their running game has been sneaky good, and if they could find a way to run the ball against the Vikings, uh, they could be a little dangerous, even though anything Mike McCarthy does does not scare me. And they just find ways to lose games. They've also had a tough schedule and a lot of close losses, right? I yeah. mean, the, the Rams won. With, like, hey, hey, Montgomery, like, don't bring it out of the end zone, guy. <laughs> right? And, 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 and against New England, they're in the fourth quarter, and it's 17-17. They end up losing more because of their defense. Um, but, you know, I, I think if if they can run against the Vikings, that's some, something that most teams can't do. That makes it a little bit more tricky. I say Devontae Adams because I, and that's more so in the sense of do you put Rhodes on him? I mean, Rhodes has been not great this year, and I don't know if that's somebody, I don't know what it's, a, if it's an injury, if it, what it is, but from the product that, look how good of a game he had against Seattle. Even before that, I mean, he's p- consistently performed for them. I don't know if Rhodes is a guy that you want shadowing him this weekend. Yeah. Rhodes has not been as good this year, and I think probably injuries have taken their toll a bit. Uh, how much of a boost could Anthony Barr's return be? I don't know if we know for sure if he's coming back or not this week, but it sounds like he will, right? Yeah, he said he's going to play, but okay. we'll see. Um, I, I can't be People any... do that to us all the time. Know, right? say, We're going to play, and then they don't. Um, <laughs> gamesmanship, I believe, is what that's called. I think I think it's certainly a boost. I mean, Eric Wilson struggled mightily, and I mean, yep. team scheme for you know offenses will scheme to pick apart a guy like that more than they probably will a guy like Anthony Barr. 
Uh, I initially had said the way Eric Wilson was playing and mixing in with Ben Gideon that maybe they didn't need him as much. Let me just roll that back after watching the tape of that <laughs> Chicago game. There there were a couple times where he over-pursued and they had cutbacks and big plays. He did get a sack in the game, Eric Wilson, but um, teams have to scheme for Anthony Barr. They have to worry about where he is and what he can do. This seems like the type of game that Anthony Barr would get up for, that he would get a sack and a, and a tip ball that turns into a pick or, or something like that, make a couple big plays, tackles for loss. Simply because it's Green Bay? It's Green Bay, and it's a night game and all those things. National TV, Anthony Barr wants to get paid, you know, so uh, I think that he will come back and have an impact on this game. Uh, I've, I've asked this before in previous games, but how many points is it going to take for the Vikings to win this game on Sunday? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know because I don't know if Green Bay is going to fix anything about their offense. This one seems like you're only going to need maybe 24 yeah. to beat them. I'd say, and I'm I'm go, I'm probably going to pick the Vikings in this as we've talked about. I mean, you're at home. You have to win this game. Otherwise, your season is more than likely out the window just because of what they have coming up after this. Um, and the defense plays really well at home. I think it'd probably be somewhere around 23-24. I don't know what the spread is right now, but I don't think it's... I think it'll be a pretty close game, but I don't think it's going to need to go above that. Boy, this is a matchup all of a sudden. Of in, it, It's almost like you go from the Bears and Vikings to... Matchup of Titans, two strong NFC North squads. The matchup battling. of Titans. <laughs> Man, that's my, that's maybe, my best John Facenda. You ever like applied do. for that job? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. That is pretty darn good. I love um, my guy John Facenda. Rest and in peace. Uh, yeah, they've had they've had a bunch of them over the years. But uh, anyway, so like all of a sudden we go from. Hey, this is for the North. This is two great teams going at it on Sunday Night Football. To this is two teams that are sliding down the mountain all of a sudden with the Packers and Vikings. Where in Green Bay they're shredding them every day. Here you got the co- coach calling out the offensive coordinator. I mean, both of these teams are sort of like all of a sudden it feels like in disarray and desperately need this game. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a point to be made too that between Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins, two guys who got massive contracts. This offseason, neither of them has been able to elevate anything around them. Yeah, and well, I mean, Aaron has, though, right? I mean, Aaron has. That, that is such a bad coach, and that is such a bad team. He's made them better. He's made them like even halfway competitive with good teams in, in those games. They're a much worse team than the Vikings for roster and coach, I think. Oh, of course. And to even be in games with the Rams and be in games with, was it uh, Seattle mm-hmm. was the other night? To be in games against Russell Wilson and the Rams and Tom Brady, I think is all because Rodgers is great. I mean, his game the other night, it wasn't perfect, but I saw Packers people shredding him. Like he was like twenty one for thirty with three hundred something yards, and they were like, "Oh, Rogers wasn't good enough tonight." Oh, Packer like, vent what? line. We played a bunch of Packer vent line stuff on Friday on Mackie and Judd, and it was. I mean, we had people talking about trade him for picks and <laughs> just bench him, and it was it the, was unreal. He made the bad throw on third down and short, and they didn't give him a chance to even make up for it on fourth down and short. And that's like what they expect from Rogers. That t- that team is is bad. I think that he's elevated them to even be in a conversation at all about the playoffs. Could you imagine his- if he if he had hurt his knee in that Chicago game in Week One? If that had been it for him, if he oh, was done for the season, what are they? Maybe and they one and fifteen. Desha- Deshaun Kaiser, one and fifteen. Oh my God! I also, I mean, 
He's in a different category, though. I put him in a much different class than a guy like Kirk Cousins oh, yeah, that I definitely. think he should be elevating them. I mean, the difference in between several losses might be quarterback play there. All right, Manny. You want to take us to the end of the show with NFL Films voice? Uh, well, see, 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 now you got me coming off the... Uh, well, you know what? Let me... Uh, see, you got you to you you prep got, me like, for this uh, stuff. Oh, sorry. I just oh, thought I mean, you were you, like you, on your game. You got to see. Can't I just got, pull I got, that out I got to drop a little, uh, you know, I got to. Oh, there well, you go. Well, we got to get the go. mood, mood okay. music. All right. All right. All right. Thanks for everyone listening. Subscribe to the Purple Podcast. Manny, what do you got? Take us away. We've got college basketball coming up next <laughs> on 1500 ESPN. You have been listening to Purple Live with Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin.